What's up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Joshua, and welcome to a conversation with Joshua and Dr. Z. Wow, just finished the broadcast, and what a delightful human being she is. Extremely accomplished. Just, it was so hard during this interview to not focus on just all of her medical expertise and go down that path, but really what she presented was so much more special, a genuine, authentic, and really enjoyable to listen to the path that we took with this. She's a breath of fresh air and just such a genuine human being. And I just think that you're going to absolutely love this interview or conversation. And thank you for being here. God bless you. You can see more episodes at joshuatberglin.com. And also, if any of you are in need of media services, please check out the Live Mono Worldwide Foundations new media training. It was done last July. There's a lot of updates for it now. However, this training is something that would be a great benefit to anyone that is looking to add additional revenue streams to their existing business. Or more importantly, if you're somebody that is just looking for a new start, this will give you all of the foundational pieces you need to launch your career. Regardless of what that is, you're going to need media to do it. And you take advantage of this free media training. It gives you access to work with me. No questions asked. And uh, so please check that out. You can go to the website, livemanaworldwide.org. Again, L-I-V-E-M-A-N-A worldwide.org. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Z. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to introduce to you Dr. Z because Dr. Z is one of the most accomplished physicians I've ever met. And it's hard enough to go to medical school and just become a doctor. But let's do it three times. And then on top of that, let's write a world-changing book too. I grew up with a gentleman that was going through the plastics program at the University of Oklahoma. And I got a taste of what physicians go through the schooling process. And that is, <laughs> that is not something that I would want to do. And to think that now you basically have done this three times, that in itself is worthy of the world's respect, but you were up to so much more. Dr. Z, before we get into just what you're up to and how you're changing the world, do you mind telling us what you're grateful for today and why? My kids. Oh. Absolutely. My two boys, they keep me with my feet close to earth, and they remind me what is valuable and what is important in life. That, I, I've done, I think, 500 broadcasts now. I've never heard anyone say they were grateful for their kids. I, I don't know if that's an accident. <laughs> They what? drive me crazy. Let's clarify. It's not that they don't drive me crazy. They absolutely <laughs> drive me crazy. And someday I ask myself why. But the truth is that beyond how hyper they are and how noisy they can be, big part of my book is based on stories about them and things that they taught me. And be part of the reason why I'm doing this with the book and what I have other plans around the same concept of mental health is because of them, because I want to give them the opportunity to live in a place, world that will be much um, better, kind, inclusive. And that's what I want for my kids. And that's what I want for anybody else's kids, because if we don't 
make this place better now, we will see our kids suffering. And I believe that we can we can be driving crazy by our kids, but we really love them. And we are responsible. We decided to bring them to the world. And it's our responsibility to make their lives as easier as as good as possible. We are um, the adults here. <laughs> it's one thing I've learned. I'm 43 now. And I didn't like, I'm, I love my mother. I didn't like my father very much, but one of the things that I've learned, I guess it's perspective is that I've learned to appreciate what he went through in his life and what he was faced with. And for all moments that I want to focus on all the negative things that he did, which I did for most of my life, which only ruined my life, uh, forgiving in this process of going, wow. Grateful he did that. I'm grateful he did that. And I'm okay. Maybe he wasn't so bad after all, even though I had all these things, this long list before. But I realized that what he was here for was to teach me and I was going to learn from him. It wasn't just the good things that I was going to learn from him. I got to learn from the bad things also, because those bad things that I had the opportunity to learn from, or we still have the opportunity to learn from, whether they're here or not, is that I get to learn from the bad too. Like those bad things were actually powerful life lessons that have allowed me really to help live the life of my dreams. So yeah. I'm grateful for that. And then of course, now my role as a father that, that actually I'm trying to be a father is that now I get to pass those lessons down. But like you said, I get to learn from them too. And it's, I'm, I might, I've had more growth through learning through the eyes of a child than I ever could from listening to a philosopher or religion or anything else for that matter. It's amazing. It's, I super agree with you. A couple of comments. I used to say when I was young in my times as adolescent, right? When we get very crazy, I used to say, I will never be like my mom. I will <laughs> never do this to my kids. And today I see myself in the mirror. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am becoming my mom. And very easy to judge our parents for the things that they are doing. But there is not a manual to be a father or a mother. And you discover that when you have this little thing in front of you screaming. And you have, they are now the bosses of your house for many years. And you have to adapt to that. And my husband and I, and really not my merit, is completely merit of my husband. We started taking parenting classes to try to become good parents or at least efficient parents because we have two gifted kids, very smart, very hyper also, and they have very strong opinions. And we had no clue how to make sure that we don't cut their wings and we allow them to live in democracy. <laughs> but at the same time, they continue being creative and opinionated and growing. So yeah, thanks to my husband, we have been going through the process of trying to learn how to be efficient, positive parents, <laughs> which is difficult. And the other comment that you mentioned, and I want to bring it back, you mentioned something about negative experiences or negative mentors, let's call it like that. I, I agree with that. I used to use the term negative, and I do it right now too, but do negative like this, because something that I learned about feelings, and I learned this for the, and now I apply it also for experiences and mentors, 
there is no negative or positive for feelings or experiences. We take them and it's what we do about them, what makes them positive or negative, really. Oh. And that changes the perspective tremendously because instead of being victims of what happened with the experience, what happened with that mentor or with that person that is part of our life, we just don't have any power. We are a victim of that. We change the perspective to what is negative or positive is what I do as a reflection of what happened to me. So I am empowered. So now I have control of what will happen. I have the decision to make it good or bad. And I feel like we have been taking this position of being very passive, sometimes passive aggressive during the last years, if not decades, where everything happens to us and the system is broken and my boss is awful and my wife, I don't know what, and my kids are terrible. <laughs> yeah. And what about you? What are you doing about this? What is your responsibility? What is your role on this? And I feel like we need to remind people and empower people to start taking responsibility of their own lives because at the end, my life, my decision. Yes. Gosh, that is powerful. I love it. Now, you, and as you're speaking, there's 50 different topics to, to go down. And I realized that it would keep us here for four hours because that <laughs> so much wisdom to unpack there. So maybe we'll have you back because I, awesome. I, I want to go down a wormhole with you now that I won't go down. So you grew up in Peru, correct? Yes, I am a Latin girl. <laughs> You're, I, that first of all, so cool. I cannot wait to go to Peru. But I want to ask you this because one of the things that I learned from just growing up around physicians and getting to work with physicians most of my career, I, I learned, I noticed that there's a lot of people like overseas that they'll go to medical school in a different country, but then if they want to come to America to practice medicine, they have to go through the process all over again. So you're a Western trained doctor. Can you explain to me, because there's amazing physicians all over the world. In fact, I would argue that some of the world's greatest are not even in the United States. <laughs> that said, a lot of people come to the United States to get their education with medicine. Can you tell me why that is? It's a very good question. To be sincere, my story is very different because I never wanted to come here with a little respect. I didn't, I didn't like to study English at school. My English was absolutely poor. I wanted to stay in Peru. I loved my job. I wanted to be with my parents. That was a priority for me. Uh, and every time that someone will say, ah, let's go to the U.S. to study or to continue the career, establish our career there, I will be like, no way. Until I met my husband. My husband lives here in, in, in my Argentinian guy that came when he was 14. And I met him randomly. And suddenly we are dating back and forth, Lima, Miami. And he proposed and it was like, okay. <laughs> and I never went back to Peru. I actually, I let my boss know by at that point Skype. So my story is a little different. This is for me, like, again, a Cinderella story, a romantic reason. But for many of us in other countries, we think that the grass is greener in other places and we know about the technology and we know about the salaries that doctors used to have in this country and, used, the opportunity used. Used to have. Yeah. and the opportunities that doctors used to have and the respect that used to have <laughs> everything is in past right now it's not reality now and i feel like that's the reason you want to go to a place where you will be you will have more opportunities personally and professionally sure i 
I don't think this so real or at least so real now. I feel like my practice as a physician was more, it was closer to my values as a human being in Peru than breaks my heart to say it loud, but this is real. I was able to be the physician that I wanted to be, the person that will be part of the family, the one that will hug the patients, the one that today, 11 or 12 years late, I received from Peru videos of the birthday parties of my 90-something-year-old patient dancing uh, because the family is so kind to include me. And this is very difficult to accomplish in this country where we are, there's because we are not doctors anymore, physicians anymore. We are just providers, whatever it means. And I will tell you a story about this term later. And and what happens is that we have 15 minutes with patients uh, or we sacrifice the love that we provide or the care that we provide or our medical license or the life of the patient because we cannot accomplish all the complete package of being a doctor, which is hard, for me heartbroken and for me the reason of burnout also. Because before we used to work very hard, harder than now, for sure. Longer hours, we didn't have these limitations. You have to be three days in the hospital, three days in the hospital. Nobody will kick you out. But you have the reward, the emotionally reward, which I call vitamins for your soul, that we are not having right now. I... Wow. I'm, I, again, you just unpack, you just unpacked something that I want to dive down, but I'll reframe because it'll take us again away from why I want to talk to you. But I do, I'm curious about something. So you specialized in geriatric, bariatrics, and what else was it? Me medicine overall? Oh, it, yeah. Internal medicine, which is the kind of like mandatory to be able to do the other specialties. And instead of bariatrics, they call it obesity medicine. How dangerous <laughs> Because I look at America, I look at photos from the 60s and 70s, and I even look at people currently in other countries. America's obese. I'm six foot two, 240. I'm beefy. I really need to be around at least, if I was 220, I would be happy. That's my prime weight. But dadgummit, I like food. And what I'm learning is outside of all the GMOs and all that other stuff that I have issue with, there's sugar in everything, and it's poisoning us. Like, it's not just affecting our children. It, it's affecting adults, too. It's affecting everything. But yet, now we have this weird shift in the media, and I'm, listen, I'm all for meeting people where they're at, loving them where they're at, and just letting people be so they can figure out who the hell they are. <laughs> we have an identity crisis in this world. And look, oh. I, I'm one of them. So I'm not judging here. I, I get it. But there's this weird agenda that seems to be happening in the media where we are celebrating obesity. Let's call it what it is. I understand you don't want to be mean and call somebody a fat ass and forgive the term. <laughs> I feel like it sometimes too. But no. you're celebrating obesity and you're basically saying... Can't wait to watch you die. We're going to cook you and eat you when you're dead, but we're going to celebrate you right now. Like, that's what's happening. Like, that, that's what's going on? So, that's wrong on so many levels, and that's that demonstrates ignorance, the ignorance that we have. We are trying to compare inclusion with a problem of your health, and even a mental health, because it is not only physical health, but it's mental health. 
Yes. So being inclusive, being respectful, being someone that that uh, wants to make others as they belong, which is correct, and I am 300% for it, doesn't mean that we need to confuse things. And when obesity is considered a medical disease, which is, right, that is clear, it's a diagnosis, it's a clinical diagnosis, and it is associated with a lot of medical illness, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, high risk of stroke, problems in your back, problems in your neck, in your knees, mobility problems, disability. And I feel like we need to be a little more cautious because being inclusive should be done in a way that, yes, I respect where you are. I meet you where you are, but I will support your well-being. Yeah. And I use the term well-being to make sure that I am clarifying that it's not only your weight or your health or your mental health, but also your emotional, no, the emotional part. Now, we know more about obesity now than before. And obesity could be the result of many other medical conditions. So is there reflect that something is wrong? And sometimes it's diabetes. Sometimes it's some changes in the brain, actually. And now we know that there are receptors and in our brain that may not be working appropriately and that make us feel like we we are not satiated and that we need to eat more, for example, or we can have metabolic issues like thyroid disease that cause this. And sometimes it's even- issues, adrenal yeah. because we're so caffeinated, that takes a toll. I That's one of my things. I was a stimulant junkie and just completely wrecked my adrenal glands. So I'm constantly playing doctor with myself. But that affects your weight too. And think about why we eat, right? Because you will have this emotional eating also. And in my case, it's restricted to chocolate, right? And nothing else. And for some reason, like you, I am very, I may am lucky and I, I, I burn all, the, all that chocolate. But yeah, some individuals eat because they are going through depression or anxiety or grief. So we need to be respectful. We need to be empathetic. But that does inclusive and all the other things, right? But we should not encourage people to stay where they are. We meet you where you are and we help you to get better. And there's no wrong in saying the truth. I feel like we have been pushed to an extreme where, yes, let's respect everybody. Let's be VIB and all these things. I agree. I love it. I am an immigrant woman. You have all the minorities that you can <laughs> consider me. So I am pro-DIB. However, being DIB involves being kind with people and help them to get to the better place. And you cannot see someone sick obesity or not obesity or suffering in drugs. Yes, let's be DIV with people that is, are doing drugs. No, you want to help them. Someone that wants to get, you want to help them. So let's be a little more with how much is being open-minded and inclusive and how much is ignoring the real problems just to fit and to avoid being in the discomfort zone of having a strong opinion about something. There's no wrong in having a, an opinion. Uh, yeah, I like that a lot. That's beautifully said. And then you talk about mental health, which is the focus of your book. And I've had my mental health issues over the years, how much of it was from trauma, how much of it was from drugs. I don't know the equation. 
But either way, I was a freaking mess. That's, that's all there is to it. I was a mess. Diagnosed with DID, disassociative identity disorder. I've managed to heal now where I'm not switching and becoming different people like I'm me, which is still pretty rowdy. So a little crazy, <laughs> but it's me. At least I'm more in control of myself than I've ever been. I got to tell you something. It never, none of it happened from taking medication. It ultimately became what I, the more I trace back to where I was at, it was all about getting truthful and honest with myself and everyone around me. That had this weird thing where it shifted all the anxiety, all yeah. the depression and the sadness and the rage and the confusion of, and the fear of getting caught in my lies and so on. That gradually, and it took a little bit of time, but I believe with everything in me, that ultimately is what has healed me. And it was something about truth that allowed me also to become comfortable with myself, which allowed me to love myself or even whatever order that happens in, but nonetheless still love myself. And the more I've loved myself, the more I've been able to stand on my own and be my own human, be my own person. But a lot of that had to do with removing every potential distraction that was affecting that also. Social media was horrible for my mental health. Being involved in that, that dopamine push. And then also others, other people's opinions, other people's oh, opinions. Yeah. I didn't know what am I really thinking? But truth ultimately has served as the most healing thing for me and also the most empowering. Now we've tried to exercise this alone with our kids where, and I, this is what I'm segueing into. We've tried to do the same with our children where we've been honest with them about things that most parents would not be honest about. And I don't have to go into all the specifics, but it's probably, if you're thinking it, yeah, that too. Because that's probably, that's whatever you're thinking, yeah, we're honest. Yeah. <laughs> we let them get away with being bad sometimes if they're just honest about it. Like when you try to focus on that, because the worst thing I can ever think of that I did, and I did a lot of bad, was learn to lie. So I'm going to ask you, for our children, and we're raising our children, and you have your own experience with your children, how damaging is it? Two kids, when we tell them little white lies about, and I know that you're Jewish, so it's <laughs> probably don't, I don't know if you talk about Santa Claus or not. They know really it seems. <laughs> so is it, is, are we harming children by telling them the little white lies? No, mommy and daddy aren't fighting. We're going to be fine. And, or, hey, you keep, don't you tell people, don't you tell at school that mommy and daddy got in a fight today? Or those kind of things. Is, are we damaging children? by telling them and to tell the little white lies to protect things, or we think we're protecting them? Are we damaging them long-term with this? And you know what? It's such a good question, actually. I never thought about that, but I will tell you a story. My, um, my boy, the oldest one, looks like he ruined the life of someone at school because he commented about I believe it was Santa Claus, if I'm not wrong, mentioned that it was not real. And a mom was in the chat saying, oh my gosh, someone told my kid that Santa Claus is not real. And I, I don't know for sure that was my kid, but I'm almost sure that it was mine because he's very bold. He will go with the truth no matter what. I feel like we need to make sure that these white, white lies are just white lies. I believe that sometimes we need to cover certain information 
from our kids. There are things that maybe they are not emotionally ready to know or understand. So I'm not pro-lying. I am pro-providing appropriate information. So there are things that they will not understand, that they don't have the emotional, their brain is not there developed and they don't have the information, enough information. My things, and things as simple as my husband met a couple a couple of days ago when he was walking with my kids and looked like he was speaking in Spanish and he was explaining to them where they can get medication for lower price, what pharmacy was better. But in Spanish, you use the term drugs, not for only drugs, but drugs are also medication. So my kid came to my house and said, I don't know why my dad was telling an older couple where to buy drugs. And I was like, what? And I was I, I mean, we could get in serious trouble for a conversation like that. That's how just gets called. Yeah. So we have to explain to him that because of the language difference, that one thing doesn't mean exactly the other. And to explain, so we have to provide the truth, but we have to provide the truth with enough background information to make it easy to understand for our kids. Allow them to be kids also. We don't want them to grow so fast. I don't think that you or I, we are more or less the same generation, different countries. So probably you were more updated than myself in Peru. But we don't know about the things that they know at six or seven. We, and I don't want to deviate too much of the topic, but I am very surprised to see in the news that a six-year-old girl or boy uh, got a gun and shoot that teacher at school and know what he was doing or that things that happened in the school, the, the level of bullying or suicide, something that scares me tremendously that 500 kids between six and 10 years old die by suicide every year in this country. I it scares me to, because my kids are that age, your kids are that age too. And the question is, what are we doing with them? What are we teaching them? What they have access to? All this viral stuff in the, I don't know, social media that you have kids one after the other trying to damage themselves or hurt themselves because something is so cool to be done. And you have kids really hurt. Yeah. Maybe we were better with the white, white lies before. There's some, there's... In all fairness, there's there's something to that. We I remember my youngest asking me that when she, we were just like sitting in our in, down here in the basement actually, and she says, "I don't know how it came up, but it was like more or less I was faced with the decision of either lying to her or being honest about me going to jail." And wow, that so I chose to be honest. And so came all the questions and I'm like, I'm going to be honest. Okay. There's got to be a way that I can answer this truthfully without going into all the gory details. She's yeah. killed people. And like, she, she's asking me specifics, but I got to tell you something. She's sick, but she was six is six. And she asked me a lot of questions that were like more challenging than most adults would ask me, but I answered them anyway. And I got to be honest. It was almost like she was relieved. She wasn't scared of me. She was like, oh. And then our whole relationship has changed from that. And we've gotten closer. And I thought that was really interesting because I thought, how in the world? I go, I'm going to hear about this from her real dad. And, and I'm going to hear about this from everybody. 
I'm going to get DHS called on me. Who talks to going to jail with a kid? But I go, well, I can't lie to her because we really emphasize do not lie in this house. And not only that, they yeah. don't get, we need to be as smart enough what you said, right? You can't say the truth. You don't need to go into the details. And when you say a truth that is difficult, you need to give this background, right? To explain what you are saying. Remember something that with all the access to information that kids have today, and that's what in social media is not necessarily something that I like for my kids. What happens <laughs> is that they will get, they will get access to information and that could be a true, real information that is appropriate or could be true, but very inappropriate for their level or could be a lie. And in some way, when you offer true information accommodated for their age and their knowledge, you are avoiding them to get confused with the information that they could receive from outside. So again, I believe that the truth has to be there all the time. But I believe that we need to be careful in the way that we provide it and the amount and the deep of this information. You could have that in, that conversation two years later again, going deeper and tell more information at that point. But six-year-old kids, they are kids. We should not forget about that. Sometimes I have conversations with my kids and I get terrified because they are so mature and I am talking about things that are important and suddenly they are in the floor doing a tantrum for a candy and, and, and you get like this schizophrenic moment where were you if six years old or is 15, right? You have no idea how to treat them. Yeah, that's pretty much every day. Every like, day. <laughs> how can the same person who just dropped more wisdom on me than Plato and now you're on the floor literally screaming because we're going to put your ice cream in the trash now because it's all melted and it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> Why? It's very confusing sometimes. But those are the reminders, right? For me, those are awful moments. But after this weekend, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, every day. But every day. <laughs> but those are the reminders that you are living with kids. Yeah. That they may talk like adults sometimes, yeah. right? They are still kids and they don't have the connections in their brain to control themselves and that they still are very impulsive, right? And immature. Those are the reminders. Who is really your kid? And probably that's really your kid at this age. In five <laughs> more years, that's the other one. <laughs> Oh, that's beautifully said. Listen, I know that you're limited with time, so I want to spend the last part of this with your book. Please tell, because again, there's 800 million things that I can think of that are just keep <laughs> flying to my brain to talk to you about. But this book is, to me, I haven't had the opportunity to read it, but reading about it, it just sounds incredible. What inspired you to write the book? And oh, by the way, tell everybody the name of the book first, because it's a little bit you know, the first part of it, but tell everybody the whole title and then tell us what okay, it's The whole title, <laughs> I'm going now. The three G cycle of the secrets to, for achieving meaning, sorry, joy, meaning, and well-being. It's long for me too. What you would try. But I believe that the second part just reflects what I am trying to get with the 3G cycle. The 3G cycle is just a different way to see your life. Uh, we have been taught that life is linear, right? Like the earth was a square and not round. And we have been living in this with this idea that if we go 
in just one direction. We cannot go back and fix things, which increase our levels of stress and make us also very afraid of the next decision because in theory, we cannot fix it. It's already done. I don't see life like that. Thank God, because if not, I will be suffering even more. I see life kind of a video game where you have level, which I call cycles in your life. You go into the level, you have many opportunities to learn the trick and you may die one time, but you can go back on the same level and keep going till you are a master of level one and then you go to level two. That's exactly how I see my life. It's an opportunity to try new things, to learn new things, to fail and learn from failing. And then collect a lot of information that will help me to go to the next level, more prepared and stronger and wiser. So thinking about what are the components of my personal cycle, I believe that three things move me. And one is the first G that is goals. I function based on goals. What do I want to achieve? And sometimes my goals are personal, my dreams, having a book, helping people. And sometimes are forced by society. You need to graduate. You need to get married. You need to have a house, whatever. But there are goals at the end. And the fuel for me to continue through the cycle is great my second G. And it's this energy inside of me that keeps me moving no matter what. And lastly, you will think that the last component is goal again. You achieve your goal. But the truth is that majority of the times or many times we don't achieve our goals or not at least our initial goals. Our goals change with time, with our age, with our experience, and also change when you are in front of different opportunities. And what happens all the time for me through the cycles is grow. I learn. I am a better person or a different person than before. So that's my third G, growth. So goal, grit, growth. And what is magical about this book is that even I wrote it and these are my words. This is the collection of stories of more than 30 individuals plus my two kids and myself and my family. And all these stories are based on opportunities to grow after adversity and to learn after adversity. And you will find Buddhist monks and Wall Street people and lawyers and doctors and also professional athletes, survivors of cancer, telling their own techniques, their things that they learn and all based on science. So people can relate to one or the other story and have this hope that Life is not happening to them, that we are the ones that control our life. And when you ask me my inspiration, and I know that this is a long answer, I'm trying to answer all the questions together. Oh, you're doing great. I will tell you what, who is my inspiration? And my inspiration was my Ellie, my, my biggest boy. One day she told me something after trying to play with me, and I was like not very motivated. She told me something that marked my life. And he said, this is your life. This is your choice. This is your journey. And I believe that is a very savvy comment. And I hope that people will close that book at some point and after a chapter or after the complete book, hopefully, and they will feel empowered to believe that this is their life. This is their choice. And this is their journey. Amazing. Dr. Ziwi, please tell everybody where they can buy the book and also follow you and support your journey. 
So the book will be very soon, hopefully next week in Amazon. We will have two weeks that this book will be, the ebook will be sold by $0.99. The goal really is to get this book in the hands of everybody that needs it and everybody that has the power to make or take decisions or create a positive impact in others. So I hope people will get it like candies and will use it to to spread good and positive messages and give it as a gift to others. Where they can find me, LinkedIn, Dr. C, and the website of the book is www.3gcycle.com. Thank you. Bye, guys. That's where they can find me. And please text me and send me messages and etc. I would love to hear your stories. And I am doing something very fun. So if people want to join me, the idea is not everybody reads or reads a complete book. So I am collecting videos of people that are reading paragraphs of the book and I'm doing mini documentaries. So you can get a small message, collection of messages from the book. So if someone wants to read the book, get the PDF right now for free and just send me back a 30 second reading of the book, please do it. I'm collecting those and they are getting very nice. <laughs> I really like that idea. I'm obviously being a media guy, like I, any creative outlet to find with no matter what vehicle you take, documentary, film, podcast, TV show, you know, blogs, it doesn't matter, books, it's a beautiful thing. And I love that you're doing that. It's such a cool idea. So yeah, I, I'd read a chapter for you or yeah. paragraph. I'd absolutely do it. I love doing stuff like this. And being a part of projects like that. So that's super cool. Dr. Z, you are an absolute gift. You're a blessing. And uh, I really, I I love seeing what you're posting on LinkedIn too. I don't really follow a lot of people on LinkedIn. It looks like LinkedIn is like Craigslist. It's a bunch of classified ads of everyone promoting their business. But I like what you're doing there. I like what you're about and just could not be more grateful to have you here. So thank you so much. And wait to see the book. I will send it to you right now. The PDF is in your hands in a few minutes. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Z. God bless you.